Every year, hundreds of males ages 25 to 35 suffer from a sickness called I don't want to move out-itis. Mom, did you cook these pizza rolls in the microwave again? There's cold spots. This sickness is sweeping our nation. And for only $100 a week, or $12 a day, you can sponsor a man-child. Are you telling me we don't have Wi-Fi here? Your contribution, your generous donation, will go to ensuring that these man-children have plenty of Wi-Fi, all the pizza rolls they can handle, and all the Call of Duty they can play. I need my Call of Duty or else I'm gonna go ape in this place. With your generous donation, you'll get a beautiful picture of your man-child ages 25 to 35, and it'll give you a picture, their name, and what their favorite video game is. Support me today, because this freaking sucks. Dial our toll-free number, 1-800-SPONSOR-A-BUM, and you too can make a difference. I'm Chris. And I'm Micah. And please help this phenomenon. But this is the Dota Box Podcast. Alright, Chris. Guess what, man? The website's up, man. What do you think? Yeah, y'all go check out the new, brand new website. We got uh, new streaming content available for you. Uh, I've checked it out. It looks awesome. Uh, props to Micah for doing that. Hey, we're on episode uh, 23, and it's great. We're inching closer to 25, and at 26, we'll be halfway through the year. So, uh how does that make you feel, Micah? It's hard to believe we've almost been doing this half a year. It does not seem like that long at all. But, I mean, at the same time, it seems like we've been doing this forever. Hey, did you know that we broke into the North? We got a listener in New York last week. That's uh, amazing to me. Oh, nice. Shout out to New York. Hopefully you enjoy it. We appreciate everybody here, too. Yeah, we appreciate all of our listeners, man. Virginia, Iowa, actually in Omaha, it's pretty consistent. Uh, Texas, of course, Georgia, Florida, California, Colorado. So we are like basically in the four corners of the U.S. So we are so thankful for you guys. And hey, don't just sponsor a man child. Sponsor Donut Box. I'm just going to throw that shameless plug out there. But anyways, we are moving into our old-fashioned donut, which is a story from our past. And these few episodes, we have been doing crazy characters from our past. Now, which crazy characters do we have this week, Michael? Oh, Chris, I'm excited for this week. I'm excited for this week, and I don't think we're going to change any names in case people want to go look them up. So... The people we're talking about this week is a couple named Dorothy and Russell Spaulding. Now, Dorothy and Russell Spaulding, um, I'm not too sure. Maybe they don't own it anymore, but they used to own a Christian TV station, WBPI, in the Augusta, Georgia area. And boy, were they some characters, weren't they, Chris? Yeah, they were. So let me just throw this out here. These people should have not owned a christian television station um i'm sure they were great people um had goods but they just did not have the business savvy for it and so their story basically was they walked 
all over America, kind of like Forrest Gump, how Forrest Gump ran across America. But they walked across America, and Russell, the husband, he carried a cross on his back. Now, the cross did have wheels. He wasn't dragging it, so they carried a cross all across America, and I guess they ended up landing in the Augusta, Georgia area. And they decided that they were going to open this local uh, TV Christian station um, in the Augusta, Georgia area. And the actual TV station itself studio was an abandoned food lion, uh, which was a grocery store. And that's where their, their actually their studio was in South Carolina, but Augusta and South Carolina are like right, right next to each other. So, um, so yeah, but they would always fight on the air like every night. And so they would have like normal Christian programming, but around about like eight o'clock, is when they would do, I guess, their own show, and they would just, like, fight with each other and have, like, serious disputes, like, marital disputes on the air. It was kind of concerning. It was very concerning, but, I mean, for us kids at the time, it was very entertaining, and we would tune in almost every night to watch WBPI to see what Dorothy and Russell had planned for this evening. And uh, something else to note as well, Russell was considerably younger than Dorothy. I think Dorothy was probably 20 years older than him, 15, 20 years older than him. So it was uh, already kind of odd because you have this man who's probably in his 40s at the time um, and this lady who was probably late 50s, early 60s, and they're married. And so they would get on there. And something else too, Russell had no awareness of where he was and the fact that he was on television like ever um but i i'm just going to start off with the very first recollection i ever had from hearing about russell spaulding i remember we were in uh this wednesday night little club that we had whenever we were you know a kid in church and there was this kid named stan and stan said that he went to the to the TV station and Russell had taught him how to, to how to speak in, in tongues. And, um, you know, we're not going to go too far into that because we don't know what everybody believes out there, but at least from what we believed at the time and everything, you can't really teach something like that. That's something that comes along naturally in your spiritual progressionary path. So to hear, even as a kid, that this man taught someone else how to speak in tongues, it was automatically like, I'm sorry? He, he did what now? That doesn't sound right. So um, another note to add to, as it was being a local TV station, they were always fundraising, which is fine, like which is great. But they were like, oh, it was almost like begging. Every night they would just like come on and beg for money. And their signal was like not good at all. And I remember like during the time, maybe it was around 2007 or 2008, the FCC had like these regulations and these guidelines that everything, all the TV stations had to go digital. They could no longer have the antennas and analogs. And so they would like always be begging every night for some money to raise uh, along with just keeping the place afloat and it was like the plate it was like almost like kitchen nightmares uh but for like a tv station because it was like they were on the borderline of uh losing the tv station like every night and they'd always be crying and we're like we're gonna lose the tv station and you feel bad for them um 
But we actually went down there a couple times uh, as being involved with church. And I'll tell about the first time I was ever involved down there. And Micah, Micah had several more times that he was involved down there. But I went down there with a uh, – it was a production group that produced Christian plays. They were called Victory Productions. Shout out to my man Carlton Clay. Um and it was a predominantly African-American uh, cast. And so they went down there to promote a play. And they did, like, I guess, a, a scene from one of the plays that we were doing. And then they interviewed Carlton. And uh, I don't remember how the comment came up. But Russell was kind of – he made a racist comment. And uh, Carlton made a comment about being Amish. I guess maybe he said, I don't do a lot of – uh, technology or something like that. He said, I, I'm, I'm basically Amish. And Russell was like, oh yeah, you're hood Amish. And Carlton just kind of looked at him weird. And we were just like, why would you say hood Amish? Is it cause he's black? Like that's kind of weird. But, uh, what were the other times where you went down there and encountered these two people? So I encountered them the very first time we went down there with um, what was called the bridge ministry or the homeless ministry that we were a part of. And so the leader of the homeless ministry came down there and he brought a, a homeless man who had actually done well and actually had a house, you know, went through their program and, you know, the program really helped them. So they're sitting there and I remember the one of the cringiest times because there was the stage. And then there was like an area of folding chairs. So literally you can sit in the folding chairs. And um, if they had enough volunteers. Now I'm just going to get off on a tangent for a second. If you showed up and you were not going to be on the TV show. They would have you man one of two phones. The phone for payment line or the phone for prayer. One of the two. And it doesn't matter who you are. It didn't matter who you are. You could have been Joe Schmo from off the streets. Congratulations. You're now manning this phone. Anyways, I guess the night with the homeless ministry, there was enough people there to where I didn't have to volunteer on the phones. So we're sitting there and they straight up asked this homeless guy, Russell did. He said, so, uh, so how did you become homeless? And typically that's not exactly a question you want to ask somebody on TV without clearing it with them first. And this was, by the way that the fellow reacted and everything, it was not cleared with him first. Now he's having to tell this heart-wrenching story on TV. Um, and then another time, uh, this was probably the most embarrassing time, I was on a drama team for our youth group, and we had to go down there. And uh, we did this play that we always did, and I'm not going to describe it, but we were always doing this and, well, we, we did it to a CD, to a tape. And, uh, yeah, the tape froze in the middle of our performance. And we literally just had to, like, stand still for a second. And then they took us off the air. And it was really embarrassing because it just kept, it, like, skipped for a couple seconds. And then it stopped. And then they were just kind of like, oh, well, we're taking you off the air. Um... And then one more, Chris, one more. We were down there that one time, and I was wearing my Mike Bibby jersey. So for those of you who don't know, Mike Bibby, cool guy. He's really swole now. But he played for Atlanta at the time, and I really liked him, so I had his jersey. So we're down there, and all I remember is Russell Spaulding just coming up behind me, which you should never come up behind somebody the way this man did. And he says, who's Bybee? <laughs> 
I never forget. He said that right in my ear. Who's Bybee? And so I turn around and then we start talking about it. But like the guy had no awareness at all, like at all. Yeah, these people were. I mean, they seem like genuine nice people, but they had no business being uh, interacting with the public in a TV setting. Um, they just and and the the wife Dorothy, she was like kind of mean. She would like berate Russell on the show and like put him down and like. It, it was bad. It was like they were just... It was almost like if someone had taken a camera and put it in their living room. It wasn't like a TV station feel. It just felt like they were just sitting in their living room. The show had no uh, rhyme or reason to it. And the shows that weren't the Dorothy and Russell show, they just like streamlined from another major Christian network. So like I get their heart behind it but it was it was weird these people should have not uh, been in the tv business i'll say that to say the least can i ask you a question um since we have the website up if we could stream their stuff over to our website do you think we should i don't think we should because then people will stop watching us uh but anyways i have to tell y'all about uh a weird video and we might post it on the tv trash can site but i'll tell y'all about that in another episode because i watched that and it was very like something that dorothy and russell would put on their on their channel but i'll tell y'all that another time so anyways enough about dorothy and russell spaulding you can go look them up um i don't know if there's anything on the way i'm sure they're still out there doing it (laughs) yeah so uh our next segment is the jail report which is our jelly donut So, this week, Chris, I got one that you're not even going to believe, man. You're not going to believe it. Well, I mean, I didn't really believe the one about the hitman where it was like the case of mistaken identity. That was a really good one. And that, I mean, I was sitting there listening to you talking about it, and I was like, man, this is really interesting. But what you got for us this week? So, this week, this happened in 2020, by the way, but it was about a mother and a daughter and the mother and the daughter, they owned a funeral home. So they owned a more funeral home, you know, that sort of thing. Well, check this out. They end up getting arrested because they had an undercover operation where they were selling the organs of the deceased that were going to be cremated. Ended up giving other people's remains to the families that happened, but they were selling all these body parts in the black market. So, and this had happened for 15 years and nobody had known about it at all. So ended up what happened was they ended up, um, the FBI, of course, I, I don't know how they caught wind of it, but it's the FBI. And so they start raiding all their books. Well, come to find out they were also having a drug trade on the side as well. So, they were not just having a organ black market organ trade. Um, they were also having a drug trade. Um, kind of like you remember that movie um, Bad Boys where they had emptied out the people's. Yeah. And then they filled it with drugs and was shipping them out. Similar situation. So they were actually putting the drugs in the deceased bodies. Is that how they were getting them? Or was it like a every uh every heart comes with a ki- kilogram of a uh, crack cocaine or how did it go it doesn't specify it just says that uh the fbi report showed that they were putting uh, different things such as heroin and methamphetamine into deceased corpses 
And whenever it went to another processing facility, which I didn't know they had other processing facilities, but maybe in their supply chain or whatever they do, um, they were collecting the the drugs. Where which state was but this in? This was in. This was in Virginia. Wow. So, um, shout out to our Virginia folks. Um, Y'all had some weird stuff going on in your state there. Um, But, I mean, what do you think about that, Chris? I mean, uh, let's just start with the first part, right? Not even going to the drug part yet. But the fact that they were, you know, could you imagine being a family member that somebody passes away? You know they're going to get cremated. You see their body for the last time, right? And then they end up getting cremated. Come to find out that actually was not them and they had their organs sold off or limbs because it was talking here that they had sold it black market to some educational firms, which I'm assuming is like universities and things like that. I didn't know there was a black market for that, but apparently there is. But they said anything like arms, legs, head, torsos, you name it, they, they did it. Well, I'm confused about the switching bodies part. So basically, how would the family members not know that they were switching the bodies? Like, because I mean, they most of it was it was just because it was it was just the cremation people. So like the people, they actually um, had the bodies there and, you know, they put them in the coffin and put them in the ground. Um, they did all those normally. So the only thing that they knew about or the only way they did that was with cremations. And uh, apparently cremations were quite popular because <laughs> um, it said over the 15 year span, they ended up making over one point three million dollars off of the body parts. But you would think 15 years, that's kind of not an insane amount of money. But I guess if you're running a business on the side and getting that side money too, but the whole thing is just rather weird. I mean, they had a whole, you know, drug thing going on. They had a whole body part black market sell off here. And then they had a legit business all, all in one. Well, I mean, I'm sure like for like medical universities and stuff like that i mean you know they would probably get a discount on those and i mean i guess there's some shady people my thought was was thinking that they were selling them on the black market to like people that like needed a liver transplant or like a kidney transplant or like a heart transplant like to me that makes sense because it's like sometimes they're not a match but like i don't know for education purposes i mean there's some sketchy stuff going on in these universities or whatnot but and i mean it may be just the fact of um i mean i don't know what the going price of a cadaver is like these universities can order but maybe it's the fact that they're so expensive to where there's some sort of black market for it to where they can buy them on the cheap cheap and you know nobody says anything about it uh because i mean really if you're a student in a university, are you really going to ask where the body came from? <laughs> so, I I don't know. It's just it's it's really it's really a weird thing. I mean, but they're I mean, both of them together are facing up to um, they still haven't been sentenced yet. It, they're in federal custody. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty messed up thing. Like you go to a funeral home trusting that you know they're gonna 
because that's a sensitive time and the family member's life. And then for the fact that these people are not only making money off of you, they're making money off of you twice because you're paying for the funeral or the cremation services. Plus, most funeral homes are trying to get that life insurance money, trying to get a good chunk of that life insurance money. And then at the same time, they're making money to the black market. So they're double dipping. And that's kind of like, that's just really messed up to me. Yeah, I mean, they're facing 155 years, the both of them. So, I mean, that's uh, pretty hefty. I mean, don't really know if that's going to go through or not. Um, it's it's incredible, the fact that, because this happened in 2020, almost two years ago, actually, because it happened in June, so two years and a couple months, and they still haven't had any sort of sentencing or anything like that. They were found guilty, but no sentencing yet. I so mean the rule of thumb usually the rule of thumb usually is like it's usually 2 to 3 years after the actual crime is committed before any trials or sentencing happens just cuz the justice pro justice system and the justice process is so slow but they probably will be coming up pretty soon but I mean 15 years that's like that's a long time and you have to also think about the laws in Virginia. I don't know how lax or how strict they are. I mean Virginia seems like kind of a a place to do it where it's low key like Vermont, Virginia, West Virginia cuz those states aren't really, you know, like high suspect area but it's really messed up. In this particular case, I don't I don't know how much the state has to do with it since they're in federal custody. I don't know what it I think it's going off of federal law which gets even more convoluted because federal law could be a little crazy compared to state laws sometimes. So, But that was our jelly donut. What did you think of that one, man? That was an interesting one. I think that's just absolutely bonkers that they did that and they got away with that so long. But what is done in the dark will always come to the light. So, I mean, I don't feel sorry for them. Absolutely. I don't either. But that's... uh can't believe somebody would do that but our next segment is the donut hole and guess what chris i got something good for you this donut hole as well okay i'm ready so all you sports lovers just go ahead go ahead you can listen to this all you non-sports lovers if you want to skip past this go ahead um i wanted to talk about it because um it's a very interesting story so the nfl draft is coming up and for you non-sports fans who are still listening, the NFL draft is when college players get picked by their by whatever teams want them. You know, at this point, they've had a physical done and all sorts of stuff and, you know, talent scouting, all that good jazz. So then they get picked. Well, this goes all the way back to 1994. And it's one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. So, Chris, have you ever heard of Mel Kuyper before? Mel Kuyper Jr.? No, I have not. Okay, so... He's a sports analyst for ESPN and has been since 1984. So he's been around for a while. And you see him every year. And basically what he does is he makes these mock drafts. And what a mock draft is is exactly what it sounds like. Basically, he makes a, if they were drafted today, here's who I think they would pick. And he kind of started that whole thing. Um, and it's kind of blown up and gotten crazy. Everybody has their mock draft now. It used to be just him. He would print out this book, but now everybody's got one. I mean, you know, my brother-in-law's got one. I mean, no, I'm joking. But, so he puts one out, 
1994, this year, they were talking primarily about the Indianapolis Colts. And their quarterback was somebody you may have heard of. They had one quarterback on the roster, and his name was Jim Harbaugh. You've heard of Jim Harbaugh, right? The he's for those of you who don't know, he's a he's a pretty good coach now. He coaches over at Michigan, um, his alma mater, and he did pretty good. They actually ended up making it to the Final Four, almost went to the national championship, all that good jazz. So he's a pretty good coach. He's been to the Super Bowl with 49ers, blah blah blah. He's good. So, anyways. That was, but as quarterback, he wasn't. He was about average. He wasn't great. So the draft comes up, nineteen ninety four, and Mel Kiper puts in his predictions that they're going to pick Trent Dilfer, and Trent Dilfer was a very talented quarterback coming up from college at the time, and so he said, you know, either him or Heath Schuler, like that would be great, and so end up what happened? The Colts didn't pick a quarterback. They picked a linebacker, and then they had another pick, and they didn't pick a quarterback, and they picked a linebacker. So, here's what ends up happening. So, Mel Kuyper gets live on on air. You know, they're having a whole draft show here, and Mel Kuyper says, you know, I think this is a typical Colts move. The Colts needed a quarterback to pass up Trent Dilfer when all you have is Jim Harbaugh. Give me a break. That's why the Colts are picking second every year in the draft and not battling for a Super Bowl spot like every other team in the National Football League. Basically ripped them, right? Said, oh, man, you know, yeah, you should have really picked a quarterback. So this started a fight between Mel Kuyper and the GM of the Colts at the time named Bill Tobin. And what Bill Tobin said was some of the greatest lines you've ever heard in your life. So I'm going to bleep out the explicitives because, you know, we're a family show and all. But Bill Tobin says, who in the bleep is Mel Kuyper anyways? He's the kind of guy who criticizes whoever they take. And he's got the answers on who you should take and who you shouldn't take. In my knowledge of him... He's never put on a jock strap. He's never been a coach. He's never been a scout. And he's never been an administrator. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. We don't have to take Mel Kuyper what he says. And we don't have to take any of his takes. Mel Kuyper has no more credentials to do what he's doing than my neighbor. And my neighbor is a mailman. So he basically ripped them. Now, all that to be said, and of course, Mel Kuyper comes back on TV and just totally rips into him and was talking about how, you know, he's, you know, Bill Tobin is the reason the Colts are bad and blah, 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 blah. Now, Chris, saying all that, who do you think's in the right here? And just FYI, Mel Kuyper has never had, he's never played football. He's never been a coach. He's never been a GM. He's never been anything, but he's a so-called expert. Do you think that in that case, he is an expert or what, what do you think of that? Honestly, I mean, I agree with what the GM of the Colts said. It's like, those are just like suggestions. This isn't like the end-all, be-all mock draft. Like, a team can pick whoever they want to pick. And for me, I, I would be frustrated too because I'm like, you're just a commentator or you're just, you don't know what you're talking about. You've never been in the business. I'm the GM. I know all the pieces that are moving. I know all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And there's a reason why we're picking these linebackers. And the fact that they had enough confidence in their quarterback, Jim Harbour, 
says a lot about him, and he stuck behind his quarterback. So for me, I mean, I take his side because I think he's still behind his quarterback and he's still behind his decisions, which he knew what was going on more than this guy who had never played football or, and this guy's just making these quote unquote predictions. And the crazy thing is, and I'm with you. I mean, the GM's going to know a lot more than this guy who works for ESPN. Right. But you know what the funny thing is? So we can think that all we want, but Bill Tobin a year later was fired from the Colts and is no longer in the NFL as of now. Mel Kuyper has been with ESPN since 84, and he's still doing it today. In fact, he's got a mock draft for this year as well, and he's made quite the career of himself off of no credentials pretty much, which I think is crazy. Um, It makes you wonder how people like that got into that position to where they can be an analyst saying who you should pick and who you shouldn't pick. Well, I think... He probably has the mentality of like how Ryan from the office did whenever Ryan became like the big boss. He was like, I've never, he was like, I'm, I can't build a Ford car on the assembly line, but I can manage the people who build the assembly line cars. So that's probably a thought process. I mean, you know, you should never count somebody out and, uh, uh, qualifications and accreditations and stuff will get you so far, but probably he probably kissed up to the right people. That's honestly, that's how a lot of those people get where they're at anyways, or probably knew somebody. Yeah, most likely. But, um, I mean, since 1984, that's quite the career. And I mean, everybody looks to him every year of what's the mock draft going to be. So, um, but I, I thought that was an interesting story. That one comes out, you know, every so often, but, um, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm actually going to put the video of this whole thing transpiring on our website, tvtrashcan.com. I'm plugging it in the middle of the episode, tvtrashcan.com. I'm just going to put it right on the front page of where we talked about it. That way you can go look and see the whole entire fight unfold live. It's pretty entertaining um, on that video. So I'm going to put that out there on the website. And it'll be on our social media pages as well. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. All right, so that was our donut hole, a little bat blast from the past. Uh, you know, it's it's always good to do sports stories because, I mean, last week we did about Harry Potter. We do about video games. We do. I feel like we have a good bit of knowledge, a little bit about everything, and we can talk to a vast audience so we're not have a target audience. We could talk about anything, I feel like, on this show. Um, and our audience will just follow for whatever. They'll just like us for us. But anyways, it, what next is, what fries my donuts? And you know what fries my donuts? What fries your donuts, sir? Um, It's probably maybe because I was, me and Michael were both raised by older fathers, and so we have a little bit, I guess, more conservative approach on this idea. But what fries my donuts is the lack of social awareness or social etiquette, I should say. Now, let me give you a prime example. I was at a funeral a couple weeks ago, okay? And when you go to a funeral, normally you're supposed to wear black, you're supposed to wear a suit, you're supposed to pay your respects to the dead, okay? The deceased, I should say. But I was there, and people were there in flip-flops, they were there in jeans, t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and... Like they were, there were people there on their phones the whole time, like while the ceremony is going on. And I'm like, I mean, call me old fashioned, but 
it's ridiculous the fact that people don't know these social etiquette things. And I think a lot of the younger generation just doesn't know. An example, when you go to a wedding, most of the time, you don't have to wear a suit, but it's nice. You need to look nice. You need to wear like nice slacks, maybe a nice button up. I'm not saying wear a suit and tie or a tuxedo or none of that, but you're paying respects to the bride and groom and you're paying respects. Or if you're going to a job interview, you want to make sure you look professional and you want to look nice. You don't want to be on your phone. You don't want to be running late. You don't want to ask, yeah, so how much is this going to pay? Like, I just feel like these social etiquette things are lost and the lack of professionalism is what really fries my donuts. I totally get that. I mean, I think it's crazy too. I mean, even small things, uh, we talk about a funeral, right? I've been in funeral processions before. Um, in case you're not aware, when you see a funeral procession coming up, it's respectful to pull over if you're driving. If you see it coming, it's respectful to pull over. But the thing is, I don't see too many people pulling over nowadays. I don't see that happening. I see a lot of people, you're in a funeral procession, they're just riding alongside you. And you're like, you know, no respect for nothing. Um, I I just, I think the pandemic's really made it a little worse. uh, As far as people were at home for so long, and we lost some of these social touches to the point where... Something I've noticed a lot more is when you're in a public place, uh, people will be on their phone, not just on their phone, but they will be playing a video out loud or they will be playing uh, or they'll be talking to somebody on speakerphone or something like that and have absolutely no spatial awareness. They'll have that sucker turned all the way up and they'll just be talking, they'll be listening, they'll be whatever. And sometimes it's so loud you can hardly hear yourself think. And these people... They, they don't care at all. Never heard of headphones or anything. Um, I see that stuff happening all the time. Or it's just even like the fact of you, uh, like just having a conversation with someone, like even trying to have a conversation with somebody. And I get that we're all connected to our phones, but like people can't even look up from their phones or like have a con- connection with you like face to face. And I get that we're in the age of social media and stuff. But it's really frustrating to me. And like I said, little things like being on time for a job interview or speaking clearly or um, just little things like that. I feel like the the social etiquette is is lost. And that's kind of what fries my donuts. And I'm like, bro, like if you're at a wedding and especially like, I don't know, but like if you're a girl and you're at a wedding, isn't the rule of thumb to like not wear white? Isn't that the rule of thumb, too? I'm pretty sure. I'm no fashionista, but I'm pretty sure that's what you don't do. Or you don't wear something that's matching as far as, like, all the bridesmaids and the groomsmen. You don't want to, like, match them either. Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, I like I was taught to, like, shake someone's hand, look them in the eye, speak clearly, make sure you have your shoes shine, like, making sure you look professional. And I feel like the lack of professionalism professionalism is really what fries my donuts and just to see people on their phones during a funeral while we're paying respects and i didn't even really know the guy uh but i was there to support the family i knew the family better but i'm like man like you should be paying respects well same thing with uh phone and church same thing with uh because i've seen that happen all the time pastors up there talking or whatever and people are over there messing around on their phones doing whatever um 
I mean, you see that, and you wanted to talk about job interview. Um, I had to be in on some job interviews not too long ago, and one of the biggest things, yeah, it was phone during the interview. They're on their phone in the interview. Like, that. that's incredible. Like, why would you do that? That's, are you trying to get this job, or are you trying to look, you know, get me to look past you? Because stuff like that makes me just say, uh, yeah, I'm going to look past you. If you can't take this seriously... You're not going to take the small stuff seriously, and so, no. But, no, I totally get it. It's like that mentality that we've talked about before. They just want – they think they got the job just because they showed up or just because they got an interview, and it's like, nah, homie. But that's just the way the world works, and, uh, I mean – One one thing I will say, and this is a message to all of you who think that's okay, this ain't gym class. You don't get a participation grade, Okay. When you're in the real world, you got to not just show up, but you have to be effective in what you have to do. And also, if you're going to show up to a job interview, just a heads up, understand what the job role you're applying to and interviewing for is. I've had that happen too, where people have no clue what they're planning on doing with this job or what this job even entails. And I'm interviewing you. That That's not good. So just a couple things there. So that's what fries are donuts now our next segment is the mystery donut which is the improv segment now for this improv segment we're going to play a game it's going to be called story time and the way that this works is michael will say a sentence and then i'll say another sentence and we have to build a story based on the sentences do we want to have a theme or do we want to just go shoot straight from the hip i'm good with just winging it man all right man i'll let you go first so here we go here's our story time mike and chris were on the podcast today and they were talking about dorothy and russell their feed accidentally cut out because a drunk driver hit the electric pole that drunk driver ended up going to jail and made their jelly donut segment the next week the boys got a great settlement because the drunk driver screwed up their podcast so much and they now are rich from the settlement. Now that they're rich from the settlement, they can start other ideas such as some movie ideas that I'm not going to say the names of. With the success of their movie ideas, they then open buy a piece of land in New Mexico and they open a theme park. With the theme park opened, they then started investing into children's characters such as Trashy and Trashina. They did They did have to fire the actor who played Trashy because he showed up to work drunk one too many times. We told him, we understand your character is called Trashy, but that doesn't mean you could be drunk and trashy. They then had to also fire his co-star Trashina because she was arrested for three counts of prostitution. Once Trashina was fired, we decided... Screw the live actor thing. We're just going to go to animated. Because that's easier. The boys then had to fly to Japan to find a top-notch animator who would animate all their ideas. When he, when they got to Japan, they found a man, Sukhoi Yamiato. And what he ended up doing was he ended up making a brand new show talking about someone who was relocated. The... What was his name? The animator then quit because Micah accidentally made a racist joke towards him. I say he shouldn't have walked in while I was doing my impression of him. The boys then, after having a lawsuit, 
from the J Japanese animator, then lost all their money and then became homeless. Well, back to square one. Then the boys. Never mind. I'm not gonna say that. I think we should end it right there because I was about to say, I was about <laughs> to say the boys had to go on the black market and start buying, uh, selling stuff like those funeral directors. <laughs> that's that's good though. <laughs> I promise that we did not plan this out. This was just all kind of came from improv, but that was our improv segment. That was our story time. So uh, our next and final segment is the eclair, which is our positive advice. And Micah, I'm going to let you go first again this week. Okay, sounds good. Well, I'm going to go with the really, 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 really cliche one. You ready? You don't get anything for the shots you don't take. Yeah, we've all heard that one. But the thing is... Sometimes we can be very timid when it comes to taking shots and really reaching for different opportunities. And so I know the the fun part about the Eclair Donut is I, I swear we've done some of these already before, and we probably have to a certain extent. But who knows? Maybe there's somebody out there that just really needs to message. So the thing is, take those shots. Be brave. And because, I mean, it's a it's a goofy commercial. It's the one with Matt Damon where it's talking about fortune favors the brave. But it's true in a way. I mean, the thing is, um, nobody who was ever timid got what they wanted and more. Maybe they got what they wanted, but maybe not more. So just if you see an opportunity, grab it. And even if you fail at it, hey, you're back to square one and you're good to go. Just keep moving. So basically, you're telling me you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take, quoted from Wayne Gretzky, quoted from Michael Scott. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm telling you right now. That's a nice little office reference. All right, so mine is uh, do things with excellence and don't cut corners. I know that sometimes it's really easy to get in a rush and to just want to get things done. But when you do things with excellence and you like take pride in your work, it really shows. Um, it shows people that, hey, you're committed to doing things with excellence. And it shows a lot about your character. And they know, hey, this guy isn't going to do things uh, half-heartedly. And I always tell people that if you cut corners, you're going to eventually have to go back and do the same job over again. So why not just do it right the first time? Uh, I remember when I was 16 and I was working at Chuck E. Cheese and I hated... Uh, closing with a certain manager and his name was Chris because he would always go back and make me redo whatever I did and I would always try to cut corners uh, of course that was my first job I would try to cut corners so that I could get out of there faster and I finally learned I hated him at first but I was thankful because he taught me how to do things the right way and sometimes you got to do things the right way and when you cut corners in life um, the easy road isn't always the best road but if you definitely do things right the the first time then it's going to make the reward that much better and you won't have to go back and do a shoddy job uh redo your shoddy job because eventually you will have to do it yeah and guess what it's really frustrating when you have to do it over again and you're looking at the thing and you're like man if i would have just did it the first time it would have been totally fine and i would not be having to do this over again. i mean there's a difference between like you learning and being like okay like i gotta re back redo this because i didn't do it right the first time because i didn't know but then if you're intentionally doing it and cutting corners, 
and you know, then that's where the problem is. But hey, we've had an awesome, fun time on this show. I hope you've had fun, Micah, because I've had fun. Yeah, time's really flown. It, I mean, it gets to the point where we get to talking, and it's like, man, we're at almost 45 minutes. Yep, so make sure you check out tvtrashcan.com, tvtrashcan.com, and tune in. Uh, tune in to all the, our updates. Go and like our social media pages. Engage with us because we want to engage with you guys. So shout out to all of our listeners that are listening to us. We appreciate you. Uh, make sure that you support a man child because that disease really is real. It's real, and it's growing ever so vastly. For only $100 a week or $12 a day, you could support Maybe a man child and you can help supply his Fortnite or his Call of Duty addiction. Or Madden, or 2K, or whatever addiction he may have. Yep, so we're going to sign off. I'm Chris. And I'm Micah. And make sure you dial our toll-free number. 1-800-SPONSOR-A-BUM. Okay? Well, we'll see y'all later. Have a good week. Salute. If I made you feel second best You did, you did Girl, I'm sorry I was blind You were always on my mind You were always